0: Some companies have a segmentation of like you know visual designer interface designer um, design strategy and for us it's really just one role what this told us is okay you know what we should just do what we what we think is most important and for us you know, when you go to newsfeed you really want to make sure the content that you see of your friends is as high as possible and you know he thought that that the act of deactivating should be more like leaving summer camp.
1: to have Julie here it's gonna be awesome awesome talk I uh, you know Julies she's spoken at it in the part she's written for New York Times she's designed for Facebook since it was 2006 and it's you know since they had eight million people all the way up until it was 500 million people it's crazy so all the features you guys seen all the, all the little decisions that they've been making she's been involved in it so super excited to have her talk about how they make decisions how they use data at Facebook. With that, let's welcome Julie to the Soapbox.
0: Thank you guys. Is this is thing working? Can you guys all hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks to Zerb for hosting these soapboxes. And um, you know, uh, just quick around the room first. How many of you guys are designers in the audience? Ooh, awesome. Okay. Uh, how about developers, engineers? Okay, a handful of those. And then other <laughs> peop- uh, tech people, I guess. Everyone else? Awesome. Humans. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely want to save some time for questions uh, at the end. But today what I wanted to talk about um, was you know, how we make decisions uh, around design at Facebook and how we try to use data to inform our designs but not necessarily drive our designs. So a little introduction about Facebook first. Um, we believe in really small teams. So you know we have, at this point in time, like a team for search, a team for news feed, a team for... Um, the profile, a team for you know ads, and generally those teams are, are pretty tiny. Like we have generally one PM, uh, one designer who's responsible for the whole feature, or even a vertical in some instances. Um, we have a handful of engineers, and as much as we can, we we like to you um, know have everyone work together, but but keep sort of a tight knit kind, <laughs> kind of kind of community so that each team can sort of feel like uh, you know it's it's one small. Uh, c- company uh, in of itself. Uh, so I am a designer. Uh, I actually manage uh, half of the product design team. And right now the product design team is about 18 people. And um, the way that we think of product design at Facebook is it's, you know, some companies have a segmentation of, like, you know, visual designer, interface designer, um, design strategy. And for us it's really just one role. Um, and traditionally we've also tried to hire really technical uh, designers and people who can go into the code base and 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 you know write up the front end or at least have like some familiarity with the front end layer um, so they don't have to sort of go in you know always ask an engineer to like tweak something by five pixels. Um, and so the design team is, like I said, 18 people. We also have a separate design team for communication design, and they focus on um, marketing and on brand. And you know, whenever we host an event like our developer conference at F8, you know, they're the ones who sort of figure out what the space layout should look like and all of the, the messaging that we want to convey to you know, developers, advertisers, and users. Um, and you know, focus is talk. You talk. Know, obviously, data for us is, is really important. Um, we use data to inform certain positions. And I want to talk a little bit about what we mean by you know, being data-informed and not necessarily data-driven. So the first thing that we think data is hugely important for is just you know, an understanding of how users are using our products and features. Um, and you know, um, what that means is you know, we, we put out something like photos or we put out something like newsfeed, and we really want to know, like, okay, how are people using it? What's, what are the pain points that they're encountering? And um, you know, uh, what, what can we do to sort of, like, Figure out like what's wrong with this flow that we that we can improve. Um, now, I'll give an example. Um, so, photo uploading, and this is you know we, we came out with photos in I think 2006, and um, and even then you know we sort of knew that we weren't going to have the best photo product in the market, right? Like we didn't support high res photos, we didn't support like you know all sorts of like awesome things that, that a lot of other photo sites did. But what we really focused on was social photos, and, and we wanted people to just you know whenever they went to a party or had an event. Post their photos, tag their friends, and have you know those experience and, the, and those memories sort of sh- distributed across their social graph um, and so we put it out there and we, we basically didn't touch the photos product for for about three years and we and it sort of grew and it grew and it grew organically but then, last year, we decided, OK, you know what? This is actually hugely important. You know, This is what a lot of people come to Facebook to do, is to look at photos, upload photos. And we need to invest in, in what's wrong. So one of the first things we did was just try to look at the data, try to understand how people are using photos and, and how they're uploading photos. And what we found was people were having a lot of trouble uploading photos. Um, uh, this is the photos dashboard. Um, you would go you know, click to the top corner, upload photo, right? Then we would give you the screen that says, hey, you know, tell us about your photo, give, it, give your album a name, give it a description. Uh, and then you'd fill that out. And then we would say, hey, you know, select some photos to upload. And at that point, we, uh, we, had, we had tried a couple of different photo browsers. Our very first one was, I don't know if you guys remember, like a really, really janky Java uh, plug-in. <laughs> then we decided to have our own, and we, and we created our own sort of like flash plugin. Um, that we thought was really awesome because it would sort of open up uh, and be a sort of custom file browser, let you browse your photos. You can select a bunch at a time. And we thought that was awesome. Uh, unfortunately, our users didn't think so. And uh, people just had a lot of trouble using this. So we said, okay, what is the simplest way that we can get users to upload photos? And we decided to, to ditch our you know custom sort of uh, interface and go back to a native uh, you know browser upload. Right? So... So now, right now we use um, you know what's native to uh, Mac or Windows. And you get the, the file browser, and you select the photo. And you can select multiple photos at a time and upload those. Um, and then once you're done, you click Upload Photo. We show you a progress bar. Um, and eventually, uh, then after all of those steps, then you're done. And so what we found was, of all the users who tried to upload photos in our session, <coughs> Um, 87% reached the first screen, which is like type in your album information. 57% actually opened the the selector uh, to to start selecting photos. Of those, 52% clicked the upload uh, button. And then 48% of them would actually wait through the progress bar and and wait for their photos to finish. And so, basically, less than half of our users are able to successfully upload a photo. And that was was kind of disheartening, right? And even though when we switched from our uh, you know old custom like Flash plugin to using sort of the more native dialogs for selecting, um, that sort of increased uh, the 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 photo upload rate from 34% to 45%, which is pretty good, but uh, you know still not where we wanted to be. We found that of the 85% of users who uploaded uh, you know any photo, they would actually only upload one, and that's because you know, it's, it's not obvious at all that you can go and select multiple photos, right? You have to remember to hold down the shift key. You have to, you know, select, like, five things. They all have to be in, this, in the same folder for you to easily do so. And a lot of people just, like, you know, do what they normally do when they upload a file. They just select one, and they say, go. And they might do this over and over again to get, like, seven photos on the site. <coughs> That's kind of a bad experience. So uh, what we did to, to address that was, you know, we thought, Maybe this is an education problem. Um, maybe if we told people that they can upload a, a, a bunch of things at a time, and teach them that they can use, you know, hold down select and, and select three things, then we can help them solve this problem, of, like going back and forth and uploading one photo at a time. And this little change, just showing, you know, a the uploading tip as you're about to upload your photo, um, you know, made it so that it went from 85% to 40% um, in terms of the users that just wanted to upload one photo, which. Tells us, you know, that a lot of people, yeah, do want to just upload one photo at a time, right, onto their wall. But a lot of people wanted to upload entire albums, and they just didn't know how. And so, by understanding and really analyzing the data, we were able to to provide them with just a simple tip, and and that that helped them solve their problem. Um, we saw photos per upload uh, increase from, you know, three to, I think, around like eight or nine. Um, so this is sort of the graph of like you know the number of, of uh, uploads per day. Anybody have a guess for why there's all these peaks? Weekends. Yeah, Sundays. Sundays are like when people, you know, they finish the weekend, <laughs> had all sorts of parties, and then they go uh, Sunday nights and upload our photos. So another thing that we use uh, data for is just to sanity check our product decisions. Um, and one example was uh, our composer. So. Our composer is a thing that you see at the top of the newsfeed that you know that you can use to update your status or, or um, you know, upload a photo. And this is what our composer used to be. You know, just a little blank field, and said, "What's on your mind?" And we wanted users to you know go and and click it, focus, and then type something, and then share that with their friends. Um, here's yeah, here's what that looks like. And one thing that we tested was, okay, well. This makes it very easy for people to go and like type a status message, right? But what if they wanted to share some other type of content? What if they wanted to share a link on the internet? Or what if they they wanted to share, um, you know, a photo album? Um, this makes it very difficult. You know, then in, in order to upload a photo album, you have to go to the photos dashboard and click that upload button. And so we thought by introducing it at the top, you know, giving people more options, um, we mm-hmm. might. Be able to see the uh, an increase in the different types of media that they shared so this is what we we tried it um, you know we tried asking people to upload their status ask a question add photos and instead of just having that blank text text box um, anyone had to have a guess to what the result of this change was huge <laughs> drop in what
1: uh,
0: so status updates decreased by one percent and Photo uploads increased by 1.5 percent. So, uh, you know, some changes, uh, not huge, nothing too big. Um, the other thing that we tried was, okay, okay, well, what if we tried to, you know, get you to updo- update more statuses by telling you that, like, showing your last status, so you could see, you know, if it started to get stale, that you wanted to, like, upda- update, it, and like tell us, you know, what 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 new stuff is happening. So, any guesses to how how this performed? Basically, it wasn't statistically like not, it didn't do anything, <laughs> is is what we found out. Um, so then we thought, okay, well, what if we, you know, we we want to we don't want to make it like you have to click some things. So what if we showed you the text field right there and, and prompted you to like type it in, right? Um, any guesses as to whether what the magnitude of this change was? Not very much. Yeah, that's that's true. Not very much. <laughs> so, I think we saw a two percent increase in status updates, but um, and. And, and that was about it. And so what we learned was, hey, like all of these things that we're optimizing, none of them are actually significantly, you know, changing uh, the amount of uh, things that people are sharing. And so what this told us is, okay, you know what, we should just do what we th- what we think is most important. And for us, when you go to Newsfeed, we really want to make sure the content that you see of your friends is as high as possible. So even though you know having the text field open by default did improve a little bit, we didn't think it was worth it. And all of this all of this testing showed that, like. This isn't really the way to like, move the needle on, on sharing. So a third thing that we use data to, to do is to retroactively um, evaluate a project's success. Um, so this is actually uh, a, a fun little project that one of our designers just decided to do in his spare time. So we have a deactivation page. And you know, you, you know, sometimes users don't want to use Facebook anymore, and they go there and they say, I want to deactivate my account. And this is what you know we, we had before, and we said, okay, you know, you know, sorry to see you go, but like, hey, please, please give us some information for why you, you thought Facebook wasn't useful, and then you know, click the button and deactivate. And one of our designers decided to take this page and and you know he thought that that the act of deactivating should be more like leaving summer camp. Like it shouldn't be like, you know, so so strict and like, hey, tell us like why and like go. It should be more like oh, you know, this place is your family and, and your friends and, like, you've had all these, like, social good times. And are you sure you want to leave? Uh, so this is what... <laughs> this is uh, a proposal that he had, which is, hey, let, let's show you some, some pictures and, you know, like, photos you were tagged in and just, like, bring some faces to, <laughs> to this experience. Uh, uh, so what, what, what are the guesses for, for what this did? Yeah, it actually reduced uh, deactivation by 7%, which, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, so I, th- I think we, uh, we ended up shipping this version, but I think there's a lot more work that we could do with the deactivation, deactivation page. Um, so, yes, question? When you say you ended up shipping this version, was there a subset of um, people that you ordered the prototype out to? Yeah, so we we would we usually A/B test um, a lot of these design decisions. Um, so we don't A/B test everything, but for something like this, where there was like here's what the current state is, and here's a new proposal, we want to make sure that the new thing actually works and what is. Percentage do you, do you put out usually, there? it's very small. It, it sort of depends. I, I think for something like this, where it's like a a very personal page, like you know, it's not something that a lot of your like friends are gonna see. We will keep that at like less than one percent of our user base. Um, there are instances where we launch a feature that tends to be like, you know, you sort of need the, the network effects and chat's one example, right? You can't just launch chat willy-nilly to like one out of like ten people. Um, you have to launch it to networks at a time and so when we were testing chat we would launch it to like, the we, we picked a, basically a small country like like Chile and so we launched it to the population of Chile because we assume, you know, everyone there if you're, you're, most of your friends when you live in Chile are probably going to also live in Chile and that then you can we can sort of see the the effect of of um, how people are using chat Okay, so the one thing that we are really aware, uh, wary of is being overly data-driven, um, and f- for a number of reasons, but the first is it's, it's really difficult for any metric. You know when you're looking at data, right you're going to pick a couple metrics that you think are important, but it's not really going to paint the full picture of like, what is actually important <coughs> um, you know, in terms of the user experience and, and for what you want as a company. Um, And also, quantitative quantitative data and a lot of the A/B testing and the metrics that we look at is really only one small piece of the equation, right? I mean, you have qualitative data. You know, like a lot of times the numbers aren't going to tell you how how people feel about something, right? you've got um, the strategic goals of the company you've got you know what, what, what experience you really want to provide your users you've got you know competition you've got uh, uh, business interests and like all of those together is actually like what you're, what you're trying to design for and the problems that you're trying to solve when when you tackle any design problem so keeping in mind that quantitative data is only a small piece of the puzzle is, is really important for us and something that we try to tell ourselves every single day um, a few months ago, we created a team uh, focused on engagement. And you know, this, is sort of, uh, this was a, sort of a tricky team for us, because on the one hand, we wanted to basically you know, have a way to measure um, you know, what was uh, successful about the level of engagement that our users are having. But our first attempt was to basically say, OK, we want to look at reads and writes. And we're going to define reads as you know, content views, so f- number of photos you looked at. Um, for status posts or um, or videos or or you know linked items, you know like how much is a user consuming, and then rights we defined as like okay how much content is this user publishing, um, and you know one of the ideas that came out of this was okay well if we want to increase you know reads and rights like we should definitely come out with this feature like comment liking right I mean that's just a, 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 a sort of a huge win you know. Um, so we launched this, and then we made it so that you know if someone posts a particularly witty comment, uh, then other people can like that. Um, here's here's an example of what that looks like. Um, mm-hmm. But what we found was that you know yes, this definitely in, in, improved the metric, right? Like a lot, we got a lot more writes into the system. But overall, what we found was that like actually 85% of the reads and writes are generated by 20% of the users. So what we're optimizing for um, by by allowing people to like comments is yeah we're giving you know these twenty percent of users more ways to engage and, and express themselves which is really great but and even though that you know would really boost the metric like we're leaving out like this long tail of like the eighty percent of people who aren't really doing anything on, on Facebook and we're not meeting their, their needs so we had to basically go and and really think about okay, okay is this really the right metric for what we want to define engagement as. And the team right now is still working on trying to figure out like what could be a better metric um, because this isn't representing the full picture of, of our users and their engagement. Do
1: you, do you all that engagement information into like, a score per user like, based on their <coughs> reads
0: and um, Yeah, we looked at, yeah, we basically just looked at um, like number per user, I think, number of reads, number of writes per user. Um, the other thing, the other reason why we are, are tend to be pretty wary of data is that sometimes you, you, know, you get so focused on a metric and you just micro-optimize, and that's not going to actually move the needle in a really big way. And I think a really good example of this is um, the application menu. So if you guys remember, you know, in 2007, this is what Facebook looked like, right? We had this left nav, and that's where all your applications were. And if you had third-party games or you had, um, you know, uh, photos, or had, this is the way that you would access it. And you know, users were very comfortable with that paradigm. Um, here's what that look, looks like. Um, and then I th- in 2008, we decided to redesign the site, and we wanted to sort of move a lot of the navigation to just a really minimal top bar, right? And, and, uh, and so we thought, okay, well, what to do with this application menu? And we thought, hey, great idea. Like, we'll just put it at the bottom, and, you know, this is, can sort of be like your top-level navigation is at the top, and that's how you access your profile and your messages and, and you know, Applications which are secondary, which you know, um, like if you play games or you want to access your photos dashboard, like we'll just put them at the bottom, and you know, it's still visible. It's docked to the bottom of the very page, and you know, users will find it. Well, obviously, users didn't find it, Uh, and you know, we just we 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 had a lot of um, the the stats show that basically nobody really clicked on it, and so we thought, geez, like users aren't seeing this. You know, it's too subtle. Like it's this gray bar. Like they're most focused on the content. Like how can we? Make users um, see this uh, application link, and so you know we we had a bunch of ideas, and then we thought, okay, okay, we just need to make it more noticeable. Like we're going to make it big and blue, and we're going to like you know just highlight that a little bit more, right? And we ran this A/B test, and yeah, uh, this you know made users see it more. Like I think this probably tripled the number of clicks uh, to the application bar and the number of people who started accessing their applications, but. I think what we realized is that you know once we actually took a step back um, and looked at this and, and saw how ugly and how like basically you know it just it doesn't fit our aesthetic. It, it, it sort of felt like we were we were optimizing for a local maximum. I mean you can you know you can tweak and tweak and you can get the, the stats up, but really in order to make a significant impact um, that that works with what you want to do, like you know it's not just about trying to optimize in these small micro ways. It's about actually rethinking the whole problem. And what we think the whole problem meant was okay, you know what? This navigation is fundamentally flawed. Like we have, we, we tried to we thought it'd be more more minimal by having the bar at the top, and you know that would be and that would give more space to the rest of the content. But actually, it just made it so that you know you have navigation here, and navigation here, and it's it's just not as cohesive. And so, in our most recent redesign, we returned back to um, the idea of a left nav. Um, the one change that was uh, that's different from this and the 2007 version is the left nav is actually only accessible on the home page, and so we do still have the rest of the page. Um, you know, so other pages like the profile can still access the, the full width of the page, and that was one of the reasons why we wanted to move away from 2007. So, but this navigation structure makes a lot more sense. Users come here, the nav is always on the left. Um, you know, the top uh, important stuff you can still access from anywhere globally on the top, but this is ultimately the best solution for people not seeing the application menu, right Is it just to make the button you know big and and we always have this example that like if you want users to click on something you know you make it you make it bright red or bright green and make it blink, and yes you're going to get the numbers that you're looking for you know it's going to impact the metrics but is that is that really what you want? Is this really the best optimization or is this the best change or is it just a small optimization yeah okay um and uh, the, finally, the last reason that we are so wary of data is because we, really, we think that real innovation is going to involve disruption. It isn't just going to be about tweaking what you have better and, and making these stepwise functions. It's really about doing something, you know, like thinking to, back to some really big ideas and taking some risks on those big ideas. Um, I think Newsfeed is a, a really good example. Um, you know, back in 2006, this is what... The Facebook homepage look like when you when you logged in and you know what we launched was just uh, a way for you to just see all the news that was happening around you uh, with your friends right and I don't know if you guys were on Facebook then or remember the backlash but uh, I, I think 10% of our users joined like I hate the newsfeed group and th- that is like one out of ten users was like I hate this thing is like the worst thing ever um, we had you know even though we were a small company at that point we only had like I think 10 million users, um, you know, we like this was such a big deal that all these like news outlets who otherwise like never wrote any articles about us were like, hey guys, like this, you know, all of your users hate you. Um, and but ultimately, you know, this this was a big risk, and, and we weathered that, and it ultimately turned out to be the best thing for, for the company. And now, you know, I think people are very comfortable with the idea of a news feed, of going in and sort of seeing, you know, the aggregated um, activity from your friends. Um Another example of a big risk we took was, yeah?
1: A question is, actually, so when it first launched, you couldn't control what was on the mm-hmm. which is part of the reason there was a backlight. Is that something you search for in the data, or are you just, like, asking for what's wrong
0: with uh, this? We we did, actually. Like Immediately when the backlash started, we started looking at, like, okay, how can we, like, the decision tree was, like, okay, we either we turn this thing off and, like, you know, it's, like, a failure, or we, like, try to figure out, like, what people didn't like about it and, And maybe assume that they just didn't like it because it was a change and they would get used to it. But trying to address some of those real user needs and some of those concerns were really about, like, I wish I had more control. And so we gave people, like, within three days we launched, like, um, a preference pane where you could, um, you know, select, like, certain, like, to opt out of certain pieces of uh, information being shared about you through your friends' news feeds. And I think that contributed a lot to just helping people feel more comfortable with the news feed. There's just, control is very important. Um, beacon is another big you know risk we took where we thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if like when you did something on another site it would just automatically share that to Facebook? And I think again, like, okay, automatically share. Like that's that's kind of risky, right? And here we, you know, another huge backlash. A lot of users hated it. And here we realized that, like, okay, this is a fundamental problem. Users want control, we're just gonna shut the whole thing off. Um, this is a sort of a yeah, this is what it would look like basically. Um, we gave we. We sort of gave, we started giving users, like, you know, uh, th- things wouldn't be published in News until they explicitly said, yes, I want this to be published in newsfeed." Um, and finally, just, you know, all of the homepage redesigns that we've done, right? This isn't something that you're going to be able to see via data, you know, um, because the way that users initially use something isn't going to be how, how they use it over time and, and how, you know, th- like them and their entire social graph um, will start to use something. So... You know, we've, we've definitely redesigned the site a lot, but and each time you know, we've, we've been trying to do a better job of at least anticipating what the biggest user concerns are and addressing that before we launch. But you know, users are always, when you ask them, do you want this change or do you not, generally they're going to say no just because they're familiar with uh, the, the old thing that you had. And so by, like, I think the, the thing that we're trying to really focus on is how to tell a better story of why this change is, is good for users and that's sort of forcing us to think about like why did we make these changes? Like what's the narrative mm-hmm. around the changes? How can we really demonstrate value? And, and if we can do a better job of that then I think that users will be more open to a lot of the changes that we're making. Um, and this is sort of a, a funny group that was formed around the time mm-hmm. of our <laughs> latest <laughs> newsfeed. you know, just to, to demonstrate like hey, when you, change is hard, you know. Every time you change you have something fundamental. You have to be really wary of of how users perceive it. But ultimately, we feel like the greatest risk is taking no risk. And I don't know where that last (laughs) word went. (laughs) Um, And that's all I have for you guys. Uh, Thank you very much for being a great audience. I'm happy to answer any questions that you have. Let's uh, let's do some questions and answers. I'd
1: like to do just a couple from, oh, that's OK. Go ahead. I'll, wait. I'll just do <laughs> a couple from, from the web that came in. We'll just open up, because we have tons of time for it. So uh, Chip Conley, who's the founder and CEO of one of the largest hotel chains in the Bay Area, he says that uh, the status update, which you've talked about, gives a unique window into people's emotional well-being. At the, and that Facebook actually already tracks this with a happiness index. So he wants to know, what does Facebook use to create this <coughs> happiness metric? Do they see happiness as more of a practice, something you actively work at, than a pursuit? What, what means could they use to track practice versus pursuit?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, to be honest, I'm not super, like, it's sort of a secret sauce in the, in the data science area, like how they come up with a lot of their analysis. Um, uh-huh. My understanding of um, how the happiness metric is calculated is it really just looks at sort of positive sentiment and negative sentiment based on you know, just a, a category of words, right? Like, the, you know, these words tend to reflect negative sentiment. These words attempt to reflect positive sentiment. So we're going to basically just run that through, like, you know, millions and millions of status updates and then try to get a sense of, like, where that sentiment is at. So it's definitely not, I think, a science per se. Um, I think it's something that we find very interesting just because we want to sort of we un- start to... And I think a big goal of, like, what we're trying to do is really trying to understand... You know how users want to best share information with the people that they care about, and um, by by sort of understanding you know the, the sentiment around like and and the emotions that that people have around you know like their lives or what they want to share like that's that's sort of what we were more interested in. I think, in general, like even though our goal is to is to sort of provide the best platform and tool for allowing people to share, we don't want to be prescriptive about like what people should say or how people should feel. It's it's just more trying to like give them that platform to, to be expressive in the way that they want to be.
1: Cool. And uh, just one more from uh, Josh Elman, He's the Facebook platform guy, former Facebook mm-hmm. platform guy and current product manager at Twitter. So he says, uh, at Facebook, the approach t- is to try to replicate real-world social norms by emphasizing human qualities of conversation. people People's faces, real names, brief biographies, and uh, place, uh, places that they, they visit. So how... Different other behaviors on mobile versus web in terms of adding comments, photos, liking. Facebook's one of the rare services that has a strong mobile and web presence.
0: Um, Yeah, we're starting to definitely get into mobile a lot more because we recognize it's like you know as more and more people get phones and and interact with their friends um, while they're on the go. It's it's sort of a very different environment than when they're sitting in front of their computers. You know, just like, yeah, just like trying to you know, read up on the day's news. And so I think what right now the way that we're thinking about it is like, okay, Facebook itself is, you know, a mechanism for entertainment, for, for discovery. Like generally you're sitting in front of a computer, you're sitting there for a long stretch of time, right, or at least more than like one or two minutes, you know. Um, and so you might be interested in reading articles. You, you might just want to s- sort of get a summary of like the day's news. And that's why the first view we show you is top news. Um, when you're on the go, one, you know, we're trying to, trying to understand like what people – Want to do, and a lot of it goes back to they want to know what's happening right now. They want to know what their friends are doing right now. They want to know like what's being said. They want to know like what parties are going on right now, like you know the activity around them. And so we are trying to focus the mobile experience more around the like mm-hmm. happening now. And so one thing, one change that we have is like when you go to the news feed, right? It's it's not um, it's not the same as the news feed on Facebook. It's not just a summary of like here are the things that happened in the last twenty four hours that are interesting. It's more like here's like what was said, you know, like a minute ago or five minutes ago, and. I think we can definitely move more towards um, the idea of, of, peop- of, of trying to understand people's, uh, what people want and, and delivering the whole, like, this is what's going on in my world around me kind of experience.
1: Do you, if you do, do you integrate the data with actual contact with users through either focus groups? Is there is there a user mm-hmm. engagement mm-hmm.
0: type thing going on there? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, we have a user research team. Um, it's it's actually a relatively newer team. I think we only got it up and running about two years ago, and, and it's still a very small team. I think we have like four or five researchers. So this is the, a, a big area that we're trying to expand in. Um, Traditionally, you know, like in the very early stages, we were using research more to validate like um, flows and to make sure, like, okay, do users understand how to get from like point A to point B, and you know, what are some of the like, you know, different like pain points that they're seeing that we can hopefully fix before the thing goes out. I think um, today we're trying to shift the focus of the research. I, I mean, I think that's still important, but I think the bigger opportunity lies in. Um, you know, a lot of the broad area strategic research, right? Like right now, for example, we're, we're trying to do a lot more ethnographic studies around um, different demographics. Um, you know, I think even today a bunch of people are going out and interviewing a lot of new mothers. Um, and, you know, the experience of having a new baby and how you want to share that with your family and friends is is really important. You know, like a lot of times people, you know, use Facebook to communicate like weddings, engagements, like the birth of a new family and, so we wanted to really understand, like, what, is, what, what do people, you know, want to do? do? How are they feeling? Like, what are the things that they want to share and express? And so we're diving, we're having, the research team is diving um, a lot more deeply into trying to understand these uh, market segments. And then so that we can use that to, you know, g- affect the strategic decisions that we're making around about, around how do, how do we do photos or how do we do newsfeed or how do we do profile. How do you kind of take the
1: qualitative that with the quantitative data to try to tell a a, a more thorough picture, a more Mm -hmm. thorough story about what's going on? Do you guys have any kind of approaches that you take to that?
0: Um, I think at this point, we probably, you know, because we have just a lot more data at disposal, I feel like we generally have more pieces of quantitative data, and what we would like to do is just build out a research team so we can, you know, we don 't have to like every time we go and make some decisions about photos it 's not just by looking at like the numbers it 's a lot by looking at like the way that people are using things so I think where we're leaning more heavily now is like we ha- we definitely have more quantitative stuff and we want to get more of the qualitative aspects so that um, and i think I think the qualitative aspects um, can be used uh, a lot more for a lot like I mentioned the strategic planning and the overall um, you know product directions, and the quantitative data can more just to sort of um, you know make sure that that like the current flow that you have like that you understand the way that people are using it and the, and the problems in order to figure out how to make the next version even better. So I guess one is more like towards a you know if you look at product development from like here to here like a lot of the qualitative work will be like in, in the beginning stages and, and you know definitely some on on just making sure the flow is right and the quantitative stage like you're gonna have you're gonna have the thing has to be built and it's either looking at what's already existing and the current experiences that people are having on the site. Today um, and also just to validate, like at the tail end, like whenever you launch something new, to do the A/B test and to make sure that, like you know, all of the hypotheses and that you went into uh, are actually validated by the data.
1: Okay. Kind of an add-on to that regional cultural differences.
0: <coughs> How do you address those? Um, we it's oh, be frank. I don't think we're doing a great job of that right now. Um, I think I mean I think the philosophy that we had going to building Facebook is we wanted this to be really universal. You know, we didn't want to target like just a, a particular demographic, and we thought that you know like photos or like status or a lot of those mm-hmm. things are, are things that you know people do in the real world with their real friends, right? So we thought that those would be um, fairly universal, and that's and that's sort of how we've been trying to tackle the problems. You know, is just to, is to approach it in that sort of manner. But I think we are starting to realize definitely more and more that you know, different countries, different regions, um, even different demographics uh, are, are uh, we have to study that and understand those differences. I mean, you know, for example, we, we uh, about a year ago, we uh, built a, up an engineering office in Japan, and it's because we realized that the way that Japanese users, you know, approach social networking is completely different, right? We were all about identity and, like, you know, talk, you know, your real names, your real uh, pictures, but you look at Japan, like, that just doesn't happen. Like when you go online, their culture has, has a lot of, um, as I understand it, just uh, you know, different different facets. So it's like you know, here I'm hanging out with my coworkers, and my coworkers don't actually know like who my family is, who my girlfriend is. Like you know, those walls are sort of kept very clear, and as a result, nobody wants to go on the internet and like you know, display all this information about like everything that's happening. And, and uh, use your real names. Like all of the social networks have been very successful, have been you know anonymous in Japan, right? And I think this is why when we realize, okay, we really actually have to have a team in Japan to really understand those cultural differences and try to build up a product that's going to work in Japan. And you know, if over time, like we you know that that cultural attitude shifts, then then that's great. But we really have to understand the way that people want to you know share and communicate with their friends in these different regions. And I think. Um, You know, China and a lot of the Asian countries are are definitely, you know, huge um, and very different from the way that, you know, um, the Western America or Europe or the UK like approach sharing. And I think uh, in terms of other demographics, like we're starting to look more at like, you know, um, uh, older users, right? And you know, our site has traditionally been 11 pixels and, and, you know, that wasn't a huge problem when everyone using it was like under the age of 30, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're like we're we're trying to we're doing studies now to sort of understand whether or not like the font size that we're using is, is going to cause like eye strain or or um, you know accessibility is another big one right uh, we want to make sure our site is accessible that the contrast is high enough that you know it's easy to browse and peruse for deaf users so as we grow we're we're trying to put more resources into understanding the different facets of our audience. Millennials
1: eventually get old.
0: So that was a little bit of a, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> that was a little bit of like, okay, just from a consistency perspective, we weren't happy with the treatment of, of type on our site. Like we, we had, a, like very traditionally everything was sort of 11 pixel, all content was 11 pixel, right? And then I think about two years ago we thought, okay, we want this news feed to be about voice and we want to really emphasize voice in the hierarchy you know, would be made easier if we if we up, you know, the, the, what people were saying to, like, 12 pixels and then kept everything else at 11. But it's not a very consistent treatment, right? Like, if you went to a profile or you went to um, read a note or photos, like, everything was still 11 pixels. And I think as a design team, we just never felt that good about the fact that, you know, it, it just sort of seemed like an arbitrary decision. And that we besides to approach it, like, okay, if we wanted to make everything consistent and, and um, you know, sort of feel... Uh, like it's designed with one voice, like how are we going to do that? And and as a result, you know, it's not just that the, the type change, we tried to restructure, um, the, you know, the way that the stories were. Uh, were, And so we, now we have the name on one line and then what they say on the next line. And all of that was sort of meant to try and make it easier because we knew that by decreasing the font size, you know, things were going to get a little bit harder to read and, and parse. And we also increased the margins so that, um, you know the, the width of the of the line text would be would be shorter uh, as as uh, as other so a lot of decisions went into just trying to establish like a very consistent visual language um, and I think what we realized that was was afterwards that you know when a lot of people did start complaining like okay well does this even make sense or should we explore you know um, a consistent treatment for larger type across the site and we're, and the, this is what we're trying to study right now.
1: for an awesome, awesome call.